The scripture lesson comes from Luke's gospel. I'll be reading from the 14th chapter. I'll read just the first verse to put it in context, and then I'll jump to verse 7 and read through 14 for the, the heart of the story. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to share a meal in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. Now down to verse 7. When Jesus noticed how the guests sought out the best seats at the table, he told them a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding celebration, don't take your seat in the place of honor. Someone more highly regarded than you could have been invited by your host. The host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give your seat to this other person. Embarrassed? You will take your seat in the least important place. Instead, when you receive an invitation, go and sit in the least important place. And when your host approaches you, he will say, Friend, move up here to a better seat. Then you will be honored in the presence of all of your fellow guests. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. Then Jesus said to the person who had invited him, When you host a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives or rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you in return, and that will be your reward. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind, because then you will be blessed, for they did not repay you. Instead, you will be repaid when the just are resurrected." Here ends this reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. The proverbial good old days are never quite as good as we would like them to really be. There are things that are clearly better about the present time in which we live. For example, I would never want to go back to a world where gas stations did not have hand sanitizer readily available at the gas pumps. Just feet from my car for getting that, you know, that little pesky whiff of gas scent off of your hand when, I'm, when you're done pumping gas before you get back inside your car. Nor would I ever want to go back so far in time as to visit a Mexican food restaurant before the days when they began offering complimentary chips and salsa. And if one is fortunate, queso and sopapillas for dessert. Now, on a more serious note, I would never want to go back to the proverbial good old days if it meant sacrificing some of the human rights our society has fought and obtained for some vulnerable citizens among us. Some of these rights are actually never completely won, though there may be laws in place, but I would never want to go back to the proverbial good old days if it meant that women couldn't vote, that people could be legally second or third class citizens because of the color of their skin. I wouldn't want to go back to the days, of, the good old days, if it meant that my LGBTQ friends had to live their lives in the closet or they couldn't marry the person that they love. Now, with all of that in mind, there are a few things I do sometimes miss about the, quote, good old days, the days gone by. We may never recover them fully, but maybe we shouldn't. But I do wish sometimes we would discover the glorious potential of mealtime around the table without phones. I wonder how many of you sat down to a meal this past week at an actual table. 
either with someone you love or someone in your family or a close friend. I'm talking about a real dinner, not one consumed in front of the television where your companions were an afterthought. I wonder how many of you had three meals or more this week with a close friend or family member where a smartphone was not present at the table. I ask because having dinner as a family used to be an everyday thing, a common occurrence, and and that has changed in our fast-paced grab-and-go culture, perhaps to our detriment. There are some of you today who will remember growing up and having dinner as a family every night of the week. Now, we all have different feelings about our family units, and not every family uh, properly neatly fits around a table necessarily like that. For some of us, we endured our family or upbringings. Others of us, we're still thinking, what family unit are you talking about? But whoever you are with, family or friends or co-workers, whatever your unit looked like in life, you might remember that dinner could not be served until everyone was at the table. And usually if there was a phone, it was hung on the wall or set in the kitchen near the counter on the place where it plugged right into the wall. And if it rang during dinner, you were instructed to ignore it and not to answer it because... It was dinner time. Now things are a bit different. It's so uncommon to sit down to a meal around the table with others that researchers have actually begun doing studies on the benefits of this practice, trying to beckon us back to a common table to share our lives every day. And it's hard to find the time to sit down with our busy schedules with all of those meetings, with soccer practices, guitar lessons, tutoring sessions, you just name it all off. There's so much to do. Longer hours, it seems, that work demands from so many of us and so on and so forth. So what do these words from Jesus actually say to us in a culture where finding time to be around a table with one another seems fleeting, almost even foreign? Author and pastor Tony Campolo tells a powerful story of an experience at dinner in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, some years ago. He was checking on mission programs that his organization was carrying out day in and day out in Haiti, and he wanted to see how the workers were surviving emotionally and spiritually. And so he says at the end of a long day, he was tired and, quote, peopled out. I've been there. So it was with great relief that he sat down to eat a good dinner at a French restaurant right in the heart of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And as he was seated, he was seated next to the window so that he could enjoy watching all of the people buzzing around and the street activity just outside the window. And the waiter brought a delicious-looking meal, and he set it in front of Reverend Campolo. And Reverend Campolo picked up his knife and his fork, and he was just about to dive in when he happened to look off to his right. There, with their noses pressed flat against the window, staring intently at his food, were four children who apparently lived on the streets, it seemed, by their parents. They pressed their faces right up against the glass. They were staring at his food, and the waiter, seeing Reverend Campolo's discomfort, quickly moved over toward Reverend Campolo and pulled down the window shade, shutting out the disturbing sight of these hungry children who were staring at his food. The waiter then said to Reverend Campolo, Don't let them bother you, sir. Just enjoy your meal. Now, to borrow from this story of Campolo's in our scripture lesson today, Jesus is challenging us to examine who it is we pull down the shades on. Jesus knows it's easy to want to pull down the shades on people because Jesus knows that is what most of us do, even without knowing sometimes. We pull the shades down and we shut out the people we would rather not think about. 
We certainly pull down the shades on some of the world's problems with their many heartaches and pains, and, and we keep that heartache and pain at a distance, if only because it feels so overwhelming if we truly begin to open our hearts and minds to absorb the pain from all over the world. We would rather enlarge ourselves and shrink the world's problems by the way we behave. But humility does the opposite. Humility shrinks us and expands the world's problems in our mind's eye. In our scripture lesson today, Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of God through a parable of a wedding banquet, one of life's biggest celebrations. Weddings are events that reveal who we are because they gather all of the people who are most important to us in one place. All of those who are present and guests at our weddings, well, they are those that we have known, been known by, those who have influenced us, and those people that, well, despite a few of their warts and all, we claim them, and sometimes they, they claim us. So, friends, um, the people who gather at our weddings are also the same people we sit at life's tables with, family, cherished friends, colleagues, they are the people with whom we have shared countless meals and conversations. I think Jesus is pushing in this scripture lesson for us to consider who is missing from our tables, to examine who we've pulled the shades down on, who we've written off, who we value less, because Jesus knows that who you sit at the table with matters both literally and figuratively. Who we sit at life's table with shapes who we are, and it shapes the assumptions that we make about ourselves, the assumptions we make about others, and the assumptions we make about how the world really operates. Friends, this is a parable that points us towards what it means to live and to strive for Jesus' vision known as the kingdom of God. Now, it would be easy for us to want to take this parable and make it a blueprint and try to reenact it to a T, but Jesus is pushing us to examine who we value, who we include, those we exclude, those we write off, those that we pull the shades down on. Jesus is pushing us to reflect on our lives and to be clear that just because we've pulled down the shades on certain folks doesn't mean that it's okay. And it doesn't mean that we should. Sometimes we make assumptions about people. We don't mean to, or maybe we do. But we see people and we really don't see people. Do you know what I'm saying? We don't even see their face or their eyes. We see what we think we know about these people. And they fall into a category almost automatically in our mind. A, a category that indicates how we feel we should respond or not to these people. We see a person and they just fit into a box of assumptions that we have made long before we ever encountered this particular person. We don't mean to, but it's what happens. I, and I don't know about you, but as much as I want to avoid making assumptions, it happens far too frequently. The Reverend Matthew Ruffner is pastor of Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. And Matthew recently told the following story that illustrates what we're getting at here about assumptions. He said, this very thing happened to me at a lunch not too long ago that I will never forget. It was a lunch I had with my granddaughter, my Nana. It was also the first lunch that my Nana ever had with her great-granddaughter, my daughter. 
My wife and daughter and I traveled to see my grandparents and we stopped for lunch with my Nana at one of our favorite little cafes in the next town over from where I grew up. My wife and daughter left lunch early to walk around and get some air. When my Nana and I came out of the restaurant, we saw my wife and daughter dancing to the music of a saxophone player who had set up shop in the, in the alleyway and was playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and other nursery rhymes, obviously, to earn a few dollars. His tip jar was laid out for all to see. My daughter was absolutely captivated, he, he went on to say. After we said our pleasantries and listened for a little bit, I reached into my pocket for a few dollars to, to put into that saxophone case to say thank you. And as we began to make our way back to our car, there was a van of workers. They appeared to be day laborers, and they had stopped for lunch. And another man who looked like he had been working with them was sitting on the curb. He was hunched over, and he looked up at us as we approached. And I thought to myself, I have the leftovers from our lunch I could give him, but I think I just gave all the single dollar bills I had to the saxophone player. I don't have any money to give him. No sooner than that thought had entered my mind, the man happened to look up at me and smiled and he said, hey, how are you? Are you hungry? Would you like this extra sausage sandwich I have? We said, no, thank you. We just had eaten, and I had to chuckle as I walked away. And I remember thanking God in that very moment for opening my eyes to my own foolish assumptions. Now, friends, we can sometimes think we're sitting up way higher at the banquet table of life than others. If we don't say it, we at least think it in the back of our minds, or we sometimes act like it, despite our best efforts at remaining humble. The man that Reverend Ruffman encountered that day reminds us that in God's kingdom, in God's vision, he already was up at the head of the table. And, and maybe we're the ones that we need, to, we need to rethink our own seats. The truth is we pull down the shades on people all the time or we regulate them or confine them to a certain place at the table. And we forget that the shades we pull down or the spaces we relegate people to are spaces in which fellow children of God occupy. They occupy that space. And I think it's so easy for us to forget and lose sight of the fact that as followers of the way of Jesus, we are called to create a beloved community in this world where all are cherished equally. It's easy for us to forget that we are beloved, and it's easy for us to lose sight of the belovedness, the sacred worth of others. But just as easily, it's easy to lose sight that God's belovedness extends beyond just ourselves, that God's belovedness, that God's love and claim includes, maybe even prioritizes folks that we think in the back of our minds are further down the list of important seats at the banquet table. They're only further down the table, by the way, in our minds. For from a God's eye view, it's a round table, and there's always room for one more every single one of us. Jesus was a good Jewish man. He knew the scriptures well. He could recite them. And I think that's just one of the many reasons the religious elite got so angry with him. And because he quoted nuances in the text back to them, shifting the meaning that they thought they already knew. And Jesus in this parable is pushing those in our text and pushing those who listen today to remember, to relearn, that those about whom we make assumptions, those we think are at the seating section marked least or less, are people who are fully claimed and loved and valued by God just as much as we are. 
And Jesus challenges us to understand that people are much more than the boxes we put them in. Jesus is calling us to shrink our own sense of self-importance and enlarge the sacred humanity of our neighbors. Jesus is calling us in this story to remember that there is not one single person on this planet that is not worthy of love and is reminding us that we should never grow comfortable in pulling down the shades or putting on our blinders and just going about our own business. There's no such thing as our own business, not in the kingdom of God. Friends, Jesus is inviting us to push up the shades today and to take off our blinders, even if that is just one person, even if that is just one relationship in our lives. Is there someone in your life whose eyes you find it difficult to look directly into? Who would it be in your life that would be hard for you to sit down and have dinner with? It might be your very own family. It might be an estranged friend. It could be that person or relationship that has been estranged for years. It could be the person with whom you disagree politically or theologically. It could be the person who may be right in front of you that our society barely notices. I bet we all have a person, or several people for that matter, in our mind's eye right now. Take a moment right now and picture this person or some of these people. And then I want you to imagine right now looking directly into their eyes. What would you see? if you did it? What surprises you as you look into their eyes? How might their place at the table be different from where you would assign their seat? Friends, I think Jesus would have us to remember that we belong to one another, every single other. And this parable is inviting us to imagine what it would be like if we lived as though that were actually true. Imagine what that would look like for you. Imagine what that may look like for us. Imagine how that may look in our communities. May we go from this place to see the world through eyes like that. Humility shrinks our inflated, distorted views of ourselves and expands the room we have at life's table for others. Every single other. Amen.